0: The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew chapter 5. Glory to you, o Lord. Jesus said, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. <clears throat> I love salty things. I love cheese and crackers, best, favorite snack of all time. I love chips, I love spinach dip, and deviled eggs, and sausages, and salted butter, and smoked almonds. Even as I edited this last night, I was munching on party mix left over from a block party that we hosted last week. This was not always so, however, before I had kids, I was a sweet person in many ways. Preferring cakes and pastries and pies while I still do love those things now I much prefer the sting of salt and how it Enhances flavors the way that it makes the sweet sweeter and the savory more savory Salt plays a very significant role in life both literally and figuratively I especially love salty people While studying and living abroad, it was not always in the lectures or classes where my language skills improved. Rather, it was quite often in pubs where I learned my best languages from very salty people who spoke their truths unapologetically, sparing little effort for proper or pious Be assured, friends, Gloria Day has its share of salty people sprinkled throughout our fine congregation and that, for me, is a high compliment. While I truly adore language and all of its subtle nuances and beauty in poetry in opera and literature, I am far more smitten by any words that gain access to a person's heart and soul and sometimes that is shockingly salty language. Sometimes it is shockingly simple language. Sometimes language must be distilled down to its very essence, setting subtlety and nuance aside. Sometimes we must look past jarring and rough language to understand what a person is honestly trying to say. Ironically, the prophet Isaiah knows this. Despite being a master craftsman of language, Isaiah also understands the importance and urgency of getting God's message out, even daring to get a bit salty with the house of Israel. Shout out! says God to the prophet Isaiah. Don't hold back. Isaiah does not pause to make sure all of his verbs and nouns agree. He does not consult with the committee to determine if he is, in fact, being too bold. Sometimes when we challenge people to be honest and not hold back, we are surprised by what follows perhaps a torrent of salty language, sometimes disagreeable, maybe even downright offensive. Shout out, God says to Isaiah, don't hold back. And we wonder what will come next. Usually, when we hear the prophet say shout out or lift up your voice, it's to bring comfort or assurance. But here, today, it's to announce judgment God commands Isaiah, shout out to the family of Jacob, and tell them about their sins, and do not hold back. Here, Isaiah boldly rejects the hypocrisy of focusing on worship practices, while failing to live out faith by serving the neighbor, especially the poor. Put simply, God is destroying self-righteous piety, in favor of active faith. Hypocrites! Isaiah says, do you actually think God is more impressed by your fasting than by loosing the bonds of injustice, by undoing the thongs of the yoke, by freeing the oppressed, by sharing your bread with the poor, by bringing the homeless into your home, by clothing the naked? God is not impressed by your fasting and your pretended piety. God's fast is to do justice. Salty language for a prophet calling bullcrap on morality in favor of faith. I like it My favorite ministry has always existed on the margins of the church with people who have either been hurt by or who have been outrightly rejected by the church. It's because these people are often brutally honest with their words, devoid from any subtlety or nuance. They say what they think, often using salty language, because they literally have nothing to lose. I sometimes call this pub theology, because in my life this is most often where this happens. And in my experience, it takes very little effort to get people to talk about their lives, their wounds, what the church has done to them. And this is often expressed with the saltiest of language. For example, drag. As a reconciling in Christ congregation and thus celebrating the LGBTQ community, Gloria Day has a table at the monthly drag shows at Big Grove Brewery Taproom here in Iowa City. If you ever want to join me, I am there every month, second Sunday, at a table for ten. In getting to know the Queens this past year, I have learned that all of them have been rejected by the church, mostly as adolescents. Once suspicious of our table, they now have come to know and trust that our presence there represents a very different way of being church, a church that goes out into the world, an expression of the embodied grace of God in that place. At drag shows, trust me. There is no time or space for subtlety or nuance. There is no time or interest in discussing the filioque controversy, the great schism between Roman Catholicism and Eastern Orthodoxy, or the essence of the Trinitarian God. Rather, there is salty language aplenty. And time and space only for the most distilled and important message the Church has to offer, and that is simply Jesus loves you. To go further and confess to you, I am shockingly sometimes a salty person. My language and my temper sometimes get the best of me. Sometimes I swear a lot. Sometimes I drink too much. Sometimes I despair. Sometimes I judge others. I'm a very smug person. Sometimes I yell at my husband and my children. Sometimes I yell at the driver in front of me, which sucks because my license plate says pastor. Sometimes I don't always attend to family and friends like I want to. Sometimes I question my faith. Sometimes I wonder what in the world we are all doing. The older I've grown the less I see this saltiness as a weakness and here's why. I am not called to be an ordained minister of the Church of Christ in order to be your moral example. Please, for the love of God, do not look to me as your moral example. Because you see, I have lied and cheated and deceived. I have hurt people. I have disappointed people. Morals and ethics are good things, don't get me wrong. We should all aspire to be good people, but moral expert is not my job. My job is to shout out and not hold back, sometimes with salty language, if required, that Jesus loves you. That is my job. That is what God has called me to do in this world. Beyond that, I strive and often fail to be a moral example. Bishop Phil Haugen was bishop in our synod when I was in seminary. He told a true story about his first congregation and how he tried so hard to be perfect in every way. But he knew, and his wife Diane knew, that he loved cigars. He tried to hide this, afraid that his congregants would be most disappointed in him. When he was eventually discovered to be a smoker, you know what happened? Nothing. No one cared. He was not the moral failure he feared he'd be, but what he was and is, is a very fine pastor because of his ability to share the gospel of Jesus Christ in a very real and salty way to others and that is brilliant. How freeing. Instead of feeling shackled by unattainable moral expectations of self and others. How freeing it is to shout out and not hold back that Jesus loves you unconditionally, that you are precious the way that you are, that you are created exactly as God intended for you to be created. Likewise, we should be careful when looking to other people to be moral examples because they will also fail, especially in this age of cancel culture. I cannot mock you for having classified documents in your house while harboring classified documents in my own garage. I cannot curse your border wall while I covertly deport refugees. I cannot condemn your abortion while overlooking those in my own family. I cannot judge your sexual orientation and gender identity without aspiring to understand my own and those of my children. I cannot celebrate your race without acknowledging my racism. I cannot own my home without acknowledging the fact that I live on stolen ground. So if you look to me as moral example, I beg you, look elsewhere. But if you're looking for a voice that shouts out to you and doesn't hold back that Jesus loves you, then I'm your girl. Here's the thing. Before we ever understand Jesus to be a moral example or guide, we must first understand him and claim him as gift. When people say they want their kids to be raised in the church so they can learn good morals, I always say, dear God, have you not read the news in the last 30 years? You raise your kids with good morals. Bring them to church so I can tell them that Jesus loves them. First gift, then moral example in Jesus and in other people. Long ago, the people of Israel tried to impress God with acts of piety, with fasting and such. Not only did God really not notice, God didn't care. Proper piety and braggadocious morality are not what God requires. Instead, God asks that we shout out the message that God loves all people and not to hold back. To love all, to welcome all, to celebrate all. These are not moral actions or even moral choices for Christians. This is faith grounded in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The higher we make our moral ground, the further we have to fall. Instead of accusing our neighbor of adultery while we secretly lust after another, instead of blaming another for murder while we secretly kill others with thoughts and words, instead of condemning liars while we all lie, instead of wanting what doesn't belong to us, let's instead focus on the manger and on the cross, focus on Jesus' gift from God, the real reason he came to earth Which is not to score our moral piety, but to shout out that he has come, that he is peace, that he is love, not for some, but for all. Finally, truth be told, there is neither time nor energy for pious or moral falsehoods. There is only one urgent and single message that is shouted out, that is not held back. God has come, dwells among us, and God will die so we don't have to. That God embraces you and draws you into this amazing creation. Simply put, there's just no time to waste on empty piety and self-righteousness. If we think that Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, Judas, Matthew, Thomas, James, Bartholomew, Judas, and Simon were examples of piety and morality, I beg you to read the Bible again. Time and time again they fail. They doubt, they struggle, they despair, I'm certain they overate and they swore. Sometimes they were jealous and snarky and greedy, they're fishermen, tax collectors, thieves, salty people. But that does not mean bad people. If not always moral, they are faithful as best as they are able. Jesus calls you two things in today's gospel, salt and light. Both are needed for life. Like the disciples, you have seen and heard things that are unbelievable, but are nonetheless true. That the hungry are fed, the dead are raised, the sick are healed, the lowly are lifted up, and the mighty are brought down. God calls you then to be you in all your saltiness, full of light. Don't waste time on empty piety or morality. Shout out to the world, withhold from no one gospel love and grace. If your verbs are wrong, or you don't know the right words, or even if you swear along the way, no one worth their salt cares, least of all, God. Amen.